Welcome to Queens Public Library's Hip Hop Series Podcast. Recorded on December 22nd, 2015, I'm VJ Ralph McDaniels, and here's an interview with DMC of Run DMC. So without further ado, even though I know you really did come to see me, I would like to turn it over to our very, very special guest. Please help me welcome Ralph McDaniels. What's up, y'all? It's, it's hip-hop in the building, make some noise, all right? That's what I'm talking about right there. If you over 30, make some noise up in here right now. <laughs> if you under 30, make some noise up in here. Right, that's a nice little balance. That's how it's supposed to be. So so, so we are here today uh, to talk about um, DMC and Daryl Makes Comics. And, um, and so we, 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 and I don't know if you guys have seen the comic book yet, but here's, this is volume two, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. This is volume two. All right, so we, we there is a volume one, but it sold yes. out. It was, yes, volume one sold out, yes. which is a good thing. All right. So, so once again, we want to welcome to you to the uh, Queens Library. This is a, a special event for us right now, and um, it's all about hip-hop and bringing this to the, the library, something new and something different. So we've been working on this for a while. So thank you to everybody here that's participated in this. And, uh, and I'm going to start off, you know, we talk about 2 Fifth Street in, in, Hollis, in Hollis, Queens. You know, were you thinking about being a rapper at that time? You talk about 1979, 1980. Were you thinking about being a rapper? No, I was pretending to be a rapper. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't about being in show business back then. Um, Hip-hop, for a lot of people... You know, before it came over the bridge from the Bronx in Harlem, when you heard the DJ and you heard the MC and you saw the breakdancer, it was almost like the way that we played with our G.I. Joes and our army men and the little girls was playing with their Barbie dolls. We were just pretending to be the guys that were doing the actual hip-hop like thing. The, like the Sugar Hill Gang and... The, yeah, we, it's, it's, it's amazing how they know every word to um, Christmas and Hollis. That was the same thing for us. We knew every word to rappers of life. We knew every word to Christmas rapping. By the way, Christmas rapping was the actual first hip-hop Christmas song. Curtis Blow, he yes. should yep, get, yep, get his props for that. But we were just make-believing because it was just about releasing yourself from... The, 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 the impact of the treacherous surroundings that you was living in your community. The breakdancing, the DJing, the MCing, and, and even the graffiti writing was a release for us. You know what I'm saying? It was like a creative, it was like, you know, when you sit down and read a book, or when you sit down and watch a movie, but with hip hop, you're doing your MCing, you're doing a record, you're actually doing it. Mm -hmm. So it was like a release for us. And, and you know, you talk about you know the arts, um, and you you were actually pretty good in other things like math and arithmetic and reading. You know, you were pretty good at that kind of stuff. Yes, I was. I was a really good student growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York. I was one of those kids that couldn't wait for the first day of school. Like my friends thought it was crazy. Like summer vacation's too long. I wish September would get here. Because for me, there was just something about having an empty notebook that you could fill up. You know what I'm saying? And and as a little kid, I would read. And, and even if I went to the dentist, you know, the dentist or the doctor could be very boring. But you know the, the wall with all the pamphlets? My mother thought I was crazy because I would sit there for the two hours that we was waiting to see the doctor or the dentist and I would read all of those. And then I would go home and write something about those experiences. And if, if, if I wasn't reading in school, if I wasn't reading anything that was in front of me, I was reading my comic books. So that was like the thing that gave me the skills to be a good student. Because even back then, they always say, even now, you know, there's something up that is weird about nerds and geeks. Because nerds and geeks, you know, we wear glasses and we only read, we read comic books and we're into Star Wars and all of that. But because we're utilizing our creativity, we become some powerful individuals. And that enabled me, all of that, all the, all the education and the reading, writing, was just a tool that I didn't know would be useful for me when I got into being a rapper in show business as a career. And, and you talk about, you know, some of the early comics books. Which ones were you buying? How much did they, they cost back then? Like, who, what Whoa, the comic books. When I started buying them, the comic books was like, what, 15 cents? Then it was 25. They went up a lot, though. Yeah. <laughs> Every year, they would go up to 35 cents. But comic books were really affordable. 
and for me as a kid, DC was cool. Batman, Superman, Justice League, um, The Flash, and all of that was cool. But Gotham and Metropolis was fictional. Marvel comic books, on the other hand, Stan Lee was a man. He really had the superheroes running around New York City. If you was to open up a Marvel comic book, you see the Lower East Side, you see Hell's Kitchen, you would see Harlem, you would see Fifth Avenue, you would see Park Avenue. So Marvel comic books showed me places in New York City that really existed that I couldn't go to. And I remember the first time we was going across the 59th Street Bridge, and um, my mother and father drove us to the city, Donnie, and we was going across the 59th Street Bridge, and you know the, um, the Roosevelt Island tram thing. And I'm a little kid sitting in the back seat, and when I saw that, I had a heart attack, and I couldn't breathe. And my mother was like, pull over! The boy's happening! He's having a seizure! And I was like, and she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, and she was like, and she, I couldn't get it out. She was like, what wrong you? And I was like, mommy, mommy, I saw the Spider-Man. It does exist! And it was just a trillion thing. So Marvel comic book showed me in New York City as a little kid in Park State Village, Park Avenue, and stuff like that. So Marvel, for me, it was real. And even in the comic books, Comic books, and, and what a lot of kids in here should understand is that comic books are real. And what I mean by that is, even for adults, if all of us in here was to read a book, if we was all given the same book and we read that book, each of us in this room would walk away with something different that touched us that was just for us. So imagine if we all read a book and everybody in here walked away with something different. What would happen if we all came back and wrote down all of our ideas on the wall. It would be a multitude of information that would empower somebody that walked into this room. And that's all hip-hop was doing. Hip-hop was inspired by popular culture, whether it was Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes, Disney. Um, as kids, we grew up watching I Dream of Genie and Herman Munster and the Addams Family. So everything that we was getting you know, after school all of those images, all of those concepts, and all of those ideas was being imparted into our lives. And then when hip-hop came along, we was able to take all of that and put it on a record, or put it in a beat, or put it on a wall via through our graffiti. So it's all 360, and it goes full circle. So, so, so you have your, your first love is really, and you told me this a couple of weeks ago, your first love was really the comic books. Yes, people drawing. always go, D, well, how did you go from hip-hop to comic books? No, for me... Comic books was first. It's all I did, it's all that I cared about. And what had happened was when hip hop came over the bridge, um, I saw, like, when hip hop first came here, I was still a kid. So I saw that they were doing these park jams, but I was still too young to comprehend what was going on. And it wasn't until I was in eighth grade, I was in eighth grade, I went to St. Pascal Bayline on 199th Street in, in Queens, in Hollis, Queens, and I went there. And in eighth grade, um, one of the older kids, no, I was in seventh grade, and Billy Morris was in eighth grade. And Billy Morris came into the, into the, into the schoolyard, and this was before boom boxes and stuff like that. Billy Morris had a tape recorder. Remember the little flat tape recorder you pushed the button and it popped up? This was before boom boxes. And he was like, come over here, come over here. It was me and two other friends. And we didn't know what Billy was trying to do to us because we was like, Billy knew all the older kids and Billy knew some of the drug dealers and the gangbangers. So Billy was like, yo, come over here. So me and my two friends, we was like, yo, we ain't going over there. He probably want us to smoke some reefer or something, right? And, a real talk. and then Billy was like, yo, I said, come in. So we said, yo, it's one of them and three of us. If you try anything, we're going to jump on so we walked over there, and he said, listen to this, and he pushed play. And then we heard a voice, we heard a beat go, boom, dak da doom ga doom dak doom doom dak da doom And then a voice said, when you mess around in New York town, you go down with the disco chiba clown. Just keep the pep in your step. Don't stop till you get on the mountain top. And then it stopped. It was like 30 seconds. And we said, do that again. And he pushed it again. We stood in the schoolyard for three hours, listening to 30 seconds or whatever that was. And then after that comes the big question. Now, because when I heard that, I heard the music and I heard their voice, I just felt something clicking me. And I was like, yo, Billy, could I hold that? And Billy was like, oh, hell no, Daryl, you can't hold my thing. And I was like, yo, Billy, 
I'll give you the keys to my father's car. You can have my mother. This and that. You can. I'm just like. So he saw I was ready to sell my soul. So he let me hold it for a weekend, and I just spent the whole weekend just listening to that 30 seconds of whatever that was. After that encounter, then I started noticing the DJs that was playing in the parks and the block parties and all of that. And then um, before it was Rapper's Delight and the mess, before Sugar Hill Records, it was cassette tapes. Cassette tapes was coming over the bridge because people was um, duplicating, the people was recording Grandmaster Flash and Africa Bambada and the Cold Crush and the Crash Crew Live. And they would go home and make duplicates and they would come to Queens and sell them. So I started hearing all of this hip-hop that was on these cassette tapes. And something just appealed to me that, you know, a lot of it at first I didn't understand, but the music sounded good. There was always a, a reference to something that I was familiar with, whether it was McDonald's or whether it was a pair of sneakers or whether it was up in the morning, go to school, teacher teaching the golden rule. Because when I was a kid, there was two types of hip-hop. There was the older hip-hop that was already in the clubs, which is what was on that tape. That was DJ Eddie Chiba. Um, there was DJs in the club already, you know, clap your hands and stuff. There was MC men. Rapping, but on the cassette tapes, you started hearing Little Rodney C and KK Rockwell, and they were just talking about stuff kids re could relate to. So, just like I used to take my favorite Marvel comic books and draw and duplicate what I was getting in a comic book, I just started writing rhymes. I came up with this, I was like, okay, the MC says his rhyme thing to the DJ that plays the beat. So, this is all make believe, this is like me pretending, and that's what I always tell kids. Your imagination really is, exists. It's a, all spiritual truths are, are true. As a man thinketh, so he become. What you behold, you become. And you know, all of that stuff, is, it really works. <laughs> it's really true. So I just said, I'm Daryl. My name starts with a D. And it's easy for me to write rhymes. So I became Easy D. So all my original early stuff was, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D, I'm Easy D. And I just wrote rhymes about everything that I did. So so okay so now you you're you're starting to hear these rhymes hip hop is starting to become something like you said there was older hip hop there was the the, the newer hip hop right. but um you still hadn't made a recording you hadn't right. met, met uh, Joseph Simmons Not you yet. hadn't met Russell Simmons yet None of that, yeah. Jam Master J no wow. no I knew Joseph Simmons I went to St Pascal Elementary School Run was always in the other class me and my, my best friend growing up was Douglas Hayes they called him Butter. He was a fat black kid that could play ball. We had crazy handle, and we grew up. Um, they played for the CYO Catholic, the Catholic basketball, yeah, Catholic Youth Organization basketball team. And one of the other dudes, he was he was in the league below us. It was Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson was amazing. Mark Jackson was scored forty five, but Butterwick hit fifty. So Butter was my best friend. And Ron was always in the, in the other class. And it was actually in eighth grade now, because seventh grade is when I heard the hip hop. And now I'm starting to pay attention. Then when I got into eighth grade, in the schoolyard at St. Pascal, we had one basketball room, one basketball court where we would play ball after school every day. And when we was in the eighth grade, this new kid named David McEachin came to the school just for one year from eighth grade. And he was like eight feet tall. But he wasn't really eight feet tall. He was kid, so. But it was like he was eight feet tall. He probably was like probably you know five eleven or something. But he was like eight feet tall. And what happened one day after school, he dumped it and he broke the rim. So now we have no rim. And, and my, my uncle Griffin and Aunt Catherine and Donnie, my cousin Donnie, noticed. My mother and father put a basketball rim up in my backyard so that I didn't have to go all the way to parks to play ball. So what we started to do was after school we would go to my backyard and play ball. So all the kids in my class, in the other class, would come to my backyard and play ball. That was the routine. One particular day, only Joseph Simmons from the other class showed up. So we would get out of school like 2.10, and my mother and father would get home at 4 p.m. And one of the rules, and as a little kid, kids, the reason why I became the king of rock and I'm able to conquer the world is because I listened to my elders. And I obeyed their instructions which allowed me to become a powerful and productive individual. But not on this particular day. One of the rules was, one of the rules was, one of the rules was when nobody's home, you can't have company as a kid. So this, right, remember that? So this particular one day, it was just Joseph Simmons. So usually I would go in the house and bring water out for all the kids. 
this particular day was just Joseph Simmons. I said, you could come in to get the water, you know, because it's early. My mother ain't going to be home till four. So when he came in, he saw me and my brother's turntables. And it was like, yo, you do that? And I said, no, because it was make believe to me. He was like, you know about, I said, no, I don't want to do that. Because it was, I ain't want nobody to know my secret. You know what I'm saying? So he goes, yo, my brother, he said, you ever see those flyers that's up on the telephone poles? And, and, oh. He said, yeah, my brother's Rush. He does all the Rush parties and this and that. And I was like, yeah, really rich. So what we would do is we would get out of school 210. We would play basketball till about a quarter to three. And then from a quarter to three to um, 3.15, we would go in the basement and DJ on me and my brother's DJ equipment. And one particular day, we was down in the basement. This was probably like maybe the 15th or 16th time. And what I like to tell all the young kids is, everything that you learn in school, when people tell you to do positive things, when people say you need to go to the opera, when people say you need to go to the ballet, all you young people, don't never look at anything as corny. Don't never look at anything that is corny. Everything that is corny to you, everything that the so-called negative people think isn't worth your time, that is your billion-dollar diamond mine. Let me tell you, if they say come play the violin, tap, dance, go to the opera, it might not be for you to go to listen to the opera. There might be somebody there that will see something in you that can be utilized to transform your existence. And what happened to me was we were just in the basement this particular day watching the clock because we had to get him out the house before my mom came home. And he just started picking up my books. You know what I'm saying? And he saw the good grades that I was getting. He was like, yo, Daryl, you get grades like this? And I was like, yeah, man, it's what I do. You know what I'm saying? I was souped up about that. And then when he started opening all my notebooks, so I just write my rhymes. I was just writing my rhymes. You know what I'm saying? He said, Daryl, you wrote these rhymes? And I was like, yeah, that's what I do. And he just looked at me and he said, whenever, and it was like, it was almost like he was talking a foreign language to me. Because I looked at him like, what the hell did he just say? He says, when Russell lets me make a record, I'm going to put you in my group. And I looked at him like, oh, okay, what do you say? Went in one ear out the other. Run and Jam Master Jay went to the same high school. So we got out of eighth grade, we went to high school. I went to high school, 124th Street in Lenox. I went to Rice High School. Run and Jam Master Jay went to school here in Queens at Andrew Jackson. So make a long story short, four years go by, I'm, um, I get to 12th grade, um, it's time to apply for college. Um, my friend Butter, Douglas Hayes, he tells me this, and the moral to you young people is this. You can ask your friends questions, you can learn from their um, situations, and you can take your advice, but don't be a follower, because being a follower will get you into trouble. And what had happened to me was, in 12th grade, they said, it's time to grow up and, and, and pick a career and pick a school that you can go to. So me, I'm a dummy. I look over at my freshman Doug and say, I don't know what I want to be. I'm just a kid. I want to go home and read my comic books and write some rhymes. So that's what I was thinking. So Douglas Hayes tells me, hold on. He says, pick St. John's University because it's right here in Queens. It's close. And we, and he's speaking for me. We don't want to go away to school. We don't want to go to Syracuse. We want to commute back and forth like we did our whole lives in high school. So I picked St. John's University. Then I said, now what do I pick as my major? Hold on. He tells me, pick business management. So I pick business management, right? To take the sheet back, I apply to St. John's University. I get accepted. So now we graduate summertime. August comes. It's, uh, I remember, it was a Sunday afternoon in August. The phone rings. And it's Joseph Simmons. He's like, yo, Daryl, remember when I told you four years ago that when Russell let me make this record, I'm putting you in a group? Grab the school books, because that's where all my rhymes was written. Grab the school books. We're going to the studio. So we go to the studio. We go to Green Street Recording Studio on Green Street. We go there. We make it like that, and that's the way it is in Sucking Seas. And then we go home. And the funny thing is I never told my mother and father where I was going that day. I just said, I'm going over Joe's house. So we go to Green Street Recording Studio. I'm thinking I'm going to be home by 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I don't get home till 2 in the morning. So my mother and father, they waiting at the door. You know what I'm saying? I get in trouble. And I didn't go, Mom, Dad, we made a record and this and that. I just said, I was up in Joe Attic. So you don't do that no more and this and that. So I got in trouble, whatever, whatever. So make a long story short, I'm in St. John's University now. And that's why I said, don't be a follower. 
get, you can get your friend's advice, but don't follow. So first day of school comes for me to go to St. John's University. I get up to the campus. I don't see Douglas. I don't see Butter. So this is funny for you kids and for the adults. I go to the payphone. <laughs> I put the cord in the payphone. I call Doug. He in bed. He goes, what? Oh, it's Monday. I don't got no classes on Monday. So I hang up the phone. I'm all alone. So I'm in my second semester at St. John's University saying to myself, man, I got to grow up. Um, of college isn't like high school. Nobody helps you. So I had to look at myself and say, what in the hell can I do? Bingo, I can draw. I can draw really good. So I've discovered I hated accounting. I hated bookkeeping. I hated all of that. Anything that happened to do with business, I was like, it's too much thinking. So I go home and I'm like, oh, mom, uh, I just want to let you know. And they were working to pay for my tuition. I'm like, oh, mom, I just want to let, let you know. Um, I think I'm going to drop that course. I'm like, you know, my, my father's like, uh, my father, rest in peace, he passed away. But he was like, go on. My mother, she giving me that look. <laughs> she about to go upside my head. I'm like, you know, I don't like accounting and I don't like bookkeeping. But, you know, mom, I can draw. Um, you know, I'm going to try my hand in graphic arts. I'm going to try my hand in accounting. You know, anything, mom and dad, that has to do with drawing, because that's my skill. I can really do that. And then I was like, even if I have to drop out of college and draw the comic books in the local funny papers on the week, mama, oh, hell no, am I after this and after this and that? My father's, calm down, woman, this and that. So I get in trouble and I go upstairs and this and that. And I'm sitting there and then Joe calls. Yo, D, remember the demo that we made? You know, I can say, yeah. Well, we got a record deal. <laughs> Russell and Rick got a record deal, this and that. And, I, and I'm playing it all. I'm not telling Joe what's going on. I'm like, yo, Joe, it's all good. But right now I'm doing with these school issues. And I hang up the phone. Hour later, he calls back. Yo, D. So, so he's calling me. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my mother and father. So that's going on through the time and time and time and time and time. That's how it's going on. Then about three weeks later, Run calls again. But this time it's, yo, D. They're going to play our record now. Because remember, hip-hop was only Friday and Saturday nights. Right, yeah. right, right, you know what I'm saying? Yo, Friday, they're going to play our record, whatever, whatever, whatever. So, Michael, I, I did the interview for you. Mm -hmm. You know, they played the record. I'm still not into... Where the, were you when you heard the record being played? I'll never forget. I was in my bedroom. I was sitting in my bedroom in trouble. Because I'm going through all this school drama with my mother and father. You know what I'm saying? So, um, Run calls. He says, D. They're going to play the record in about an hour. So they played it like that, um, and that's the way it is. They just played that, and it was like, you know who, because there was no album covers of the video, so nobody knew who the hell we were. So then that weekend, they played Sucker and Seeds. And it's like that was more like the radio song. But when Sucker and Seeds hit, it was just, it was just every, the day they played Sucker and Seeds, Every, when I walked out my house, every four steps that I took, everywhere I went, I would hear this record. But I still didn't know what was going on because I'm, I'm walking through life like this. I gotta grow up, I gotta figure out what this is. So I'm not realizing what's happening. And then a couple of weeks later, Run calls again, excited. We got a show. D, pack your bags, we're going to do a show. And hang up the phone and I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I hang up the phone and I sit there and I wake up. Oh my God. I never told my mother and father that I made a record. <laughs> so Joe's calling, telling me that we got a show in North Carolina. And back then, we was getting like um, a thousand, we was getting $1,200 to $1,500. That was a lot of money for a kid fresh out of high school. That was good. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, this is it. We're going to be getting $1,200 to $1,500 show, whatever. And I'm still on the phone. I'm a bad friend. I didn't, I should have told Joe the truth when it was going down. I hang up the phone and I'm like, yo, Joe gonna kill me if this goes down. So I go downstairs, true story. Mom, dad, I need to speak to you all again. So my father, you know, he's, he's up though. I love him. He was like, okay, what's going on? My mother, she's like this. <laughs> Just waiting to smack me upside my head. And I go like this. I go, uh, remember that night in August when I came home two in the morning? Yeah. And now my father's starting to get, give that mother look. Well, I wasn't really at Joe's house. We went to the studio and we made this record. And remember that thing me and Alfred used to do in the basement with your record when we took your turntable and brought the mix and thing? And the thing that they used to do at the block parties and this and that, well, like the record's rappers are like, me and when we have one of those records and this and that, and it's hip-hop, and Russell said the name was going to be Run DSC. So my mother's raising hell, this and that. My father's, calm down, woman. And all my father wanted to know, calm down, calm down. My father, he just wanted to know, I want to ask you something. 
What in the hell is hip hop? And what in the world is a Run DMC? <laughs> True story. And I explained that to them. And then they heard me out. And then it was like, no, you can't go. So I went back upstairs in my room and I'm like, Shoot, this is going, Joe won't really kill me now. And then I'm like thinking, I'm thinking, and Joe calls this and that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And then I'm like, oh, he said we're going to be getting twelve to $1,500. So I came up with a plan. I went downstairs. And young boys and girls, it's all about compromising with your parents or whoever is raising you. If you do something positive, you got to know how to negotiate. So I went downstairs and I was like... Because I knew my mother and father was paying my tuition. I went downstairs and I was like, yo, mom, um, if y'all let me go on this. And I'm thinking, I'm not thinking career. I'm not thinking record business. I'm thinking they're going to play this record for this one summer. I'm going to probably do six or seven shows. And that's going to be it. I'll be 60 years old telling my grandsons, I have a record out in 1984 and this and that. I said, mom, whatever money I make on this doing these little bit of shows this summer. I will take all of that money, I'll save it up, and I'll pay my own tuition. And when I said that, it was like, they had the little conference. Okay, you can go. I took a leave of absence, and I've been absent from college ever since. It just kept going and going. So, so I can say that, you know, you are uh, an entrepreneur on your, on your own. You know, you, you've gone out and done things on your own. First time, you know, I'm, I'm making a record. First time, I'm, I'm doing all these. Welcome to Queens Public Library's Hip Hop Series Podcast. Recorded on December 22nd, 2015. I'm VJ Ralph McDaniels, and here's an interview with DMC of Run DMC. In this comic book, the whole idea behind a comic book is this. In this universe we're in, DMC's superpower is hip hop and rock and roll. I use that to inspire, motivate, make history, hook up with Errol Smith, do the My Adidas song, all that fun creative stuff that had an impact on the audience and people, you know, globally. But in a comic book universe, it is Daryl McDaniels, the same thing, school kid, growing up, whatever, in Hollow Springs. But in, in, in the comic book, my superpower is really superpowers. Everything that I did on my record, I'm DMC in a place to be, be cool and go to school, I'm the king of rock, there is none higher. I'm the devastator mic controller, DMC, I'm the microphone master. All of the inspirations that I got out of reading those comic books, all of those imaginary concepts and ideas that were embedded in me as a kid um, became real in my mind. Almost to the point like when, when, when I was reading Marvel comic books, Thor was the son of Odin. So I said... Thor's dad is the son of Odin. My father was named Bifrit. So I said, I'm going to be the son of Bifrit. And I sat down and I wrote around, son of Bifrit, brother of Al. Banners my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree, my mother, my father, my brother, and me. And all of those things, people are going back looking at the comic book now. Everything that I experienced as a kid. All of the positive good stuff. Christmas time in Hollis, the way drug dealers rhyme about selling drugs and shooting, I rhymed about Christmas and made it a classic that will be here forever. You know what I'm saying? So all of those things I was receiving, I said everything that I experienced, I could put in a book like this in a form that old people and young people can hold in their hand and they can have that same experience, Ralph, that me and you had as young people when we first experienced in hip when we first experienced hip hop. Hip hop was always um um it was always audio that caught us. It was always visual. Like hip hop is so powerful, you don't even have to say nothing. You can just look at a person, the way they wear their sneakers or the way she got her hair done in the glasses, and it says something that you could relate to. So we decided, yo, we're gonna do this comic book, we're gonna do it ourselves, we're not gonna put it out in massive numbers. We're just going to make it available for the person that walks by who wants to investigate. All of your discuss discovery as a young person is about investigation. If you investigate something, you have an experience with it. Once you have an experience with it, that experience becomes information. That information, whether it's reading and writing in school, whether it's something that happened on a corner, whether it's something that happened to you in your personal life, becomes education. With education is a transformation. When you look at hip-hop, remember I said, 
Hip-hop started with tape recorders. Then it turned into the box. The box with just one cassette and one speaker grew into a boom box with four speakers. The girls' earrings, it started with little tiny earrings. They grew into the big dookie earrings. The chain started with a little chain, grew into the big do dookie rings. So for me, I was watching what hip-hop was doing and it brought me back to the comic books. In the comic books, my favorite superhero was the Hulk. If you mess with him, He's going to turn into the Hulk and it becomes unstoppable. Why the Hulk? Why the Hulk? Why the Hulk? Because um, two reasons. The first little stupid kid reason is um, my mother's name was Banner. B-A, like Hannah. B, but Dr. Bruce Banner, as a, as a kid, oh, he got my mother's name. That was one reason. And the second reason was Dr. Bruce Banner was this scrawny little human that was always getting kicked around. Um, the army was always after him. He would get smacked up. And his whole thing was, I'd advise you not to make me mad. Because <laughs> then he's going to go hope on you. So the hope actually gave me my confidence. When from the day one run said, Yo, D, I'm going to put you in this group. We're going to do these records. We got to go on the road. I was a little shy kid that only wanted to read comic books and stay in my basement. So now I got to get up in front of y'all and start doing rhymes. So I had to create a persona for me. And if you look at hip hop, everybody always have their aliases. You know what I'm saying? So I became, because comic books was always the amazing Spider-Man, the incredible Hulk, the mighty Thor. It was always adjective, describe who you are, and then put your name there. So I was like, I'm gonna become the devastating, mind-controlling DMC. I'm going to become the microphone master DMC. I'm going to become the king of rock. And if you, um, um, my therapist <laughs> told me as a little kid, I was always defining, I'm DMC in the place to be. I'm the devastator. I'm the king. I was always defining me. I never let nobody define who I was. And that was a beautiful thing about hip hop. Except a lot of hip hoppers now, they, they relate themselves to drug dealers and gangbangers, and they're not the ones doing it, but they do that to sell records. Hip-hop was always about truth and not being ashamed of who you are. So everything I was able to do on a record, Riggs was like, yo, D, man, you could do with this comic book. And at the same time, we wanted to create a venue to hip-hop where, in my generation as a young person, if you said I'm a rapper and there's a new hip-hop song coming out, even our adults, our mothers and grandfathers would say, Oh, I would love to hear that because a lot of the parents realized we were sampling the music they grew up on. Yeah, yeah. So it's always generationally impactful. That was a beautiful thing to see y'all get up on that stage and rip it. Keep doing that. Because we need positive female representation in hip-hop and it need to start when these young girls and boys are young. Like we did. So I was able to create those personas that, that inspired me to build who I was and put it in a book. So, so, so now we, we live in a world where most young people have headphones on and watch them crossing the street in front of me. They're not paying attention to me. As yeah, I'm they can get the hit light. by the bus. Yeah, you know, or they, you know, they spend a lot of time in the house playing with video yeah. games and on the computer. And you know, how do we, how do they pick up this? They go to the bookstore and get it. You can go to a comic book and pick up a DMC comic book. And, and but, you know... Oh, you mean how do they pick it How up? do we get them... You know, like, this is the library. And one of the right. things about coming in the library, and we talked about this, is like... And you said, you know... I, I'm quote you. If, this is one of the greatest things that you can do is, is to not just any book. Pick up any book. Right, pick up a book and pick read it. Pick up a book and read it. Why is that? Over doing these other things. Over, over, over doing other things? Because it builds your own personal, powerful existence. It helps you understand who you are. You can learn from another person's experience. It's a big difference than playing a video game or sitting there um, um, you know, playing on your smartphone. When you turn off, technology is beautiful. It's beautiful and it's needed. But something happens to the individual when you turn off all the exterior noise and pick up a book and begin to read. And what happens is this. You discover a world where there's other people like you, no matter what's going on in your life. Secondly, 
it makes you learn about the world that you live in. A lot of the things that we search the internet for, or a lot of the things that we watch TV for, is stuff we already know about. But when you pick up a book, and you read a story, it could be fiction, it could be non-fiction, inside that book something will spark to you where you say, I go through that, or that's me, or if it's not you, that's my mother does that, or my father does that. Or, even more importantly, you pick up a book and you read something, and you say, man, I want to do that. I want to become that. A book helps you realize that you can become those things. I remember Karis One told me some stuff. He said, um, Karis One lived in a homeless shelter. And he said, he would, if he walked by a bookstore, he would pick the book up and read it. He'd take it back to his homeless shelter, Karis One is not just one of the greatest rappers ever, but Karis One also goes to Yale and Harvard, and he gives lectures, and they pay him a lot of money for that. A lot of money that rappers who got hit records don't even get. And it empowered Karis One to say, I'm not just one to be known as the great rapper. He titled himself the teacher because he knew there was knowledge in that book, and it was his responsibility to use this hip-hop to share that knowledge. So if we can get kids to pick up books about whatever it is that they like, it will make them discover something about themselves that they don't know. I want to take some questions. Do we have any people that have any questions? Yes. Well, Speak loud if you yes. can. Yes, hello. My name is Janice Sherwood. I'm a parent coordinator at Eagle Academy, all boys school. And I would just like to say that reading is, as you know, fundamental. And yes. most of our boys read anything that, you know, will, that will inspire them. And with that being said, it would be greatly appreciated if you could bring this to our school, this sixth grade through, through 12th grade, which is greatly needed. Done. This, they, you know? Yes, that's it, done. I'm coming. One love and two yes. yes. How you doing? How you doing? I'm Kevin Johnson from Ed Thompson's Veterans Center, 12 years of military service. Amen. Salute. Everything you say is touching my life, and I watched you from a sibling up, and I made an itinerary just to come see you in this event, and it's, it's, it's a blessing. I have applied myself, I'm a brick mason by trade, and um, my mother's legally blind, but I still persevere, I still press on. That's what you're supposed to do, that's what hip hop's about. And try to do that which is right, but watching you all, I watch you all my life, and watch you go from the bottom and all the way up to the top. Well, that, thank you for telling me that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I wanted to say is that it didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it didn't just begin with me. Because, you know, I grew up in Queens, New York, and everybody knows they don't care where you live at. There's a hood that's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And one of the things, things that I tell the young people is, your situation doesn't define who you are. And once we tell the young kids that, you will see a transformation. I grew up in Queens, New York. I mean, it wasn't the Bronx and Manhattan. But a lot of people forget the real pioneers before Run DMC and everybody out of Queens was Africa Bambada and the Zulu Nation, Grandmaster Flash and the Furries Five, Funky Four Plus One, Treacherous Three, Cold Crush Four. All of those young boys and girls, all those brothers and sisters, all those graffiti artists, all of those great dancers like the Rocksteady Crew and Dynamic Breakers, something amazing happened and it was all coming through young people. People always ask me, DMC, what do you think about hip-hop nowadays? I could never critique another person's creativity. It's what they do. Like in every genre, every, every form of entertainment, you have everything. You have your Disney movies, you have your pornography. You have your violent movies, and then you have your G-rated cartoon Pixar movies and whatever, whatever. But for me, old school isn't a time period. Old school is a consciousness. It's a way of artistically, creatively, or educationally presenting who you are. And that being said, I'm this little kid. I went to Catholic school my whole life. 
You know what I'm saying? My mother and father, they worked real hard to pay for me to go. Every school that I went to, they paid for me to go to. But I could walk up to Hollis Avenue, and everything that was in the Bronx and Harlem was right on Hollis Avenue. But it was the guys from the Bronx and Harlem who lived in the midst of the war zone. Everybody, especially us old folks in here, we know the history. The Bronx was burning in the 70s. Heroin and Superfly and all of that stuff was a way of life. And it wasn't the politicians and the political leaders. It was the young people, such as Africa Bambon and Kumo D, who told me, this kid living in Queens, this. It was always about competition. It was always about, you know, hoping you get paid after you did your show, but it wasn't, that wasn't the desire. That wasn't the purpose of it. Kumo D and Melly Mel and Grandmaster Cass were like gods to us growing up. And if you listen to their most powerful records, there's nothing in their negative telling us to destroy ourselves or our communities. Yes, sir. <clears throat> and in 80, 82, and in 1982, Kumo D of the Treacherous Street said this rhyme to me, and we didn't have iPhones and iPad, and it wasn't digital, we had record players. Right. You had to put the vinyl on a record and put the needle on a record. And Kumo D said these words to me in 1982, right before my record came out. He said, um, once a nobody from the neighborhood took a hop to the top because I knew that I would excel over the rest because I make progress. I don't consider it luck because I'm not blessed. He said, I got my life all together. Love the way that I live. Go to school. Know I'm cool and I think positive because it's a right to have fun. Lots of pleasures and joy. But it's a brain that separates the men from the boys. Not to pull the needle back. I was like, Kumo D, this young dude. And then I found out Kumo D was in college at the time. You're listening to Queens Public Library's hip-hop series with DMC. People don't know Chuck D of Public Enemy, one of the most controversial, influential groups, not just hip-hop groups, groups in history. Chuck D was a graphic arts major at Delphi University. They had a college radio station. So I started seeing these boys and girls from the Bronx and Harlem who had way less than me, they had a desire to do something good with the talent that they was given to them. So I had to return that favor on all the records that I made. It was just like when I told you earlier, I was just pretending to be Melly Mel and Grandmaster Flash. The same way I was pretending to be Spider-Man and the Hulk. And it came true in my life. One of the things that one of the things that I tell young people is this. I'm not greater than you. I'm not better than you. I'm not smarter than you. I'm not even more talented than you. What I am to you is living, breathing proof of what will happen if you take advantage of every little corny, artistic, creative, educational opportunity right. given to you. That's what I represent. Hi. I'd like to thank you um, for your advice. Um, I'm Cricket. I know Cricket. Come on. We grew up together. What I wanted to tell everyone, back in the days, um, I made a lot of wrong decisions in life. Y'all was one of the people that inspired me to go to school. I dropped out. I wanted to rap. I used to talk to Jam Master J. I wanted to tell you years later, you know, God works in mysterious ways. As an MTA bus driver, I'm on leave now. I'm in college to become a clinical social worker. Oh, right on. It was you, Russell, for years that have helped me. And I've been longing to thank you. My son still look at you as his God. Really? Oh. But, but my thing is to tell you that um, I would like to know more about your magazine because uh -huh. um, besides me trying to write movies now, uh -huh. my spare thing, I'm trying to start a program called Above and Beyond Interaction with uh -huh. the military helping me with kids. Oh, right and on. I think by me being a foster parent, going to some of these places, I can give some of these teens that in and out of the judicial system. Yes. Exactly. To look at. So I would like to know where I can get my hands on some so oh. I can just reach out and give them something. Oh, no doubt. For sure. For sure. Even though, and that's the one thing that hip-hop showed us, even though we made mistakes, the powerful thing about hip-hop was a drug dealer would tell his story, but then he would tell the young shorties, but you don't do this. 
And the little kids are so, they look up to us so much, but the kids would always go, well, what do I do? So that's where the problem becomes. But, <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at <clears throat> Rakim, yeah. Rakim on his record didn't say, I am a stick-up kid and I'm getting money that way. When he got on that mic, he knew he had a responsibility to the audience and the community. He said, I used to roll up. This is a hole up. But now I learn to earn because I'm righteous. So our learning doesn't necessarily just come from school. School just gives you a foundation and a format of how to learn. A lot of kids always say, Mr. DMC, I'm never going to do this algebra problem in my life. And you may be true. You will never do that problem again. But the things that you need to use to solve, solve that problem, you will be using. So everything that I spent in my basement, imagining and pretending to be, when it was time for me to get out there and do it, I was well prepared. Hip hop made us well prepared. Um, what was that line on, um, on Planet Rock? The message came out. People don't remember. In New York City, it was disco. How many of y'all remember disco? And disco got to the point where they were saying disco sucks. Because why? Every time we looked at disco in Studio 54, you saw glitter balls. You saw paint. The funny joke is, I always use this joke. When they ask me on the radio, DMC, what do you think about hip-hop today? I say, it's disco. Go look at it. It's mansions, glitter balls, pool parties, champagne, sex, drugs, and all of that stuff. That was the same thing here in New York City. So people's perception of New York City was New York is heaven. <laughs> Hollywood was coming from Hollywood to party at Studio 54. Everybody in the world and the nation thought, man, New York City is heaven. But it took some young, let me repeat, it took some young boys and girls from the Bronx that was burning to educate people on the truth of what was really happening in the city. And these young people spoke for our mothers and fathers. When that man, Melly Mel, said, it's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Don't push me. That's how my father felt. And then people woke up and started to go, that's what's really going on in New York? Now the truth is out the bag. But us as young people, we knew that, okay, we don't got the resources, but we got skills. This guy, he's a wizard with a camera and a microphone. Yeah. This dude knows what to do with those turntables. I'm not afraid to take my poetry and say it over that beat. This guy, when he hears that music playing in the park, he cuts up a cardboard box to make a dance floor so he could go dance somewhere. And the guys that was writing on the walls, even though they was writing on walls, they didn't know. Until somebody put value on that talent and said, yo, it may be wrong to write on that wall, but it's art. Then you started to have a transformation. And uh, the street gangs became hip-hop and breakdance crews. And on that record, Planet Rock, okay, here's the message. Here's our reality. But Planet Rock told us what we could be. And on that record, individuals, I think, what, it was... 17 to 21 when he made that record. And um, MC Globe and Mr. Biggs and Pow Wow, they said the soul sonic force. Mr. Biggs, Pow Wow, and MC Globe, we emphasize to show we got ego. Make this a night rocket by day, as the people say. Live it up. They said, shucks, no work or play. Our world is free. Be what you want, just be. And those words stuck a, stuck a, stuck a, stuck a, stuck a, 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 a knife through all of us. Bam was just saying, be what you want, but be something. And some of us said, yo, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to become a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman. And some of us said, man, I know a lot about this camera. I'm going to become a director or a photographer and stuff like that. Inside of all of us individuals is the next great novelist, the next great poet. In this room, these young girls in here is the next great Maya Angelou. She sold books. You know what I'm saying? And all the images that were coming out of negative places for us was positive. And for me, when I saw a breakdancer, the way they looked, the way they moved, it was like seeing Spider-Man come to life. When I heard Big Beat drop, poof, ba-bam, poof, poof, bam, that 
That was like the sound of the hope walking across the floor. You know what I'm saying? So everything that I was experiencing as a kid, hip-hop allowed us to make it a reality. We created hip-hop so our children don't have to idolize Al Pacino and Scarface. We don't want our children to think that's the way out. We created hip-hop so we didn't have to have our, name, our children name themselves after John Gotti and drug lords and all of that. You know what I'm saying? These little girls, they singing Christmas in Hollis. Somebody told me, yo, out of all the records made at Christmas time, how could you ever think that Christmas in our lifetime was always this? It was always Ben Crosby, right? I remember um, he, Ben Crosby, he made, um, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Go turn on the TV, right? Ben, big shout out to Ben Legendary. Or, you know, for us folks in the hood, we was happy to see Nat King Cole, a black dude. Say it about Christmas. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Right? But somebody told me, D, for eternity now, because of hip-hop, you're going to have Ben Crosby, you're going to have Nat King Cole, and you're going to have Run DMC singing Christmas time in Hollis Springs forever. Ladies and gentlemen, Daryl McDaniels. So we have some books in the uh, lobby. We're going to figure out how to work that out. D may come up for a while. If you enjoyed this series, make some noise today. And D, how, do they, how do they follow you, D, on uh, social networks and all that stuff? Oh, my Twitter is the king, at the king DMC. And my Instagram is at king DMC. Thank you for listening to Queens Public Library's hip-hop series with DMC. I'm Ralph McDaniels, and enjoy your day.